Wednesday night, and we're going to try to tackle the rest of them tonight, and uh, we'll have a lot to cover, but, uh, but I'll try to move through it as quickly as we can, and still try to get something from God's Word tonight. Let's pray one more time, and then we'll turn to the Scriptures. Father, help us. We need you tonight. God, give us your strength and give us your grace. God, give us wisdom as we teach. May we see you in the pages of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you'd help someone through what's said and done here tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, and amen. For the past few Wednesday nights, we have been looking together at Paul's argument uh, that the world is unjust in the eyes of God. In chapter number 1, Paul tells us about the uh, unrighteous man, the man that is wicked and depraved, the man that is departed from God and is no longer seeking God. In chapter number 2, he talks to us about the self-righteous man, the man that um, thinks that he is better than someone else. In his own eyes, he is just and he is righteous. In his own eyes, he is is okay because he's maybe better than someone else. Um, But Paul deals with both of those, and he concludes that both are guilty in the eyes of God. Now tonight, beginning in chapter 3, Paul continues his thoughts on unrighteousness. He will conclude in verse number 10 that there is none righteous. He will conclude in verse 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, But I am thankful that Paul doesn't stop with verse 23 where we are all sinners. But he continues on toward the end of the chapter and he gives us faith, uh, gives us hope by faith in Jesus Christ. If I was to entitle this portion of Scripture, I would do it this way. Guilty, but grace. Guilty, but grace. There are three things I'll show you from the text tonight. First of all, I want you to see the judgment. The judgment. Verse 9 says, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentile that they are all under sin. Chapter 1 and chapter 2, I told you, is almost like Paul has called a courtroom hearing and he has called all the world before the the judge. And on that stand, Paul has proved that all men are guilty in the eyes of God. And that is what he's saying in verse number 9. The judgment is set, the judgment has been rendered, They are all Jew and Gentile. They are all under sin. This is not an assumption on Paul's part. He is not trying to prove that man is a sinner. Paul is stating this as a fact. You are a sinner. Or as he says it in verse number 9, he says you are under sin. Now, let's stop for just a minute and talk about what that means to be under sin. I think it looks something like this. To be under sin means that you are a sinner by choice. You are a sinner by act or by actions. What I mean by that is that all of us have done things that are wrong. I'm not going to ask you to tell all of your dirty secrets tonight, but if I was to ask you to answer the question in the honesty of your own heart, have you ever done something and you knew that it was wrong? You felt bad for doing it. You maybe felt bad before you did it. But you did it anyways. You are a sinner by choice. And that's not just a random act on our part. Although one sin would be enough to condemn us in God's eyes. 
but we are willfully sinners. Paul will show us that in just a moment. But we are sinners by act or by action. Number two, we are sinners by nature. You are a sinner by nature. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. That is who you are. It is in your very DNA. It is in your makeup. You are a sinner by nature. All men are sinners. We are born that way. We are sinners by by birth. Um, So we are a sinner by action. We are a sinner by nature. And third of all, we are a sinner by imputation. Uh, That word imputation means that it is basically something that we have inherited. It has been passed down from one generation to another. Our forefather Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden. And when he sinned, sin was passed down upon all mankind. And his sin was rolled into the lives of Cain and Abel and Seth. And their sin was rolled into their descendants and on down the line till it found its way with you. You inherited a sin nature. You were born with it. So all of us are sinners by action. We do things we shouldn't do. We are sinners by nature. It is who we are. And we are sinners by imputation. We are born with it. It is given to us when we are born. And so Paul says in verse number 9 that he has proved both Jew and Gentile alike. They are all under sin. We are all sinners. Verse number 10 As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Paul is quoting now from the psalmist David when David wrote in Psalms 14, verse number 1, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Or as it would read, uh, maybe in the originals, the fool hath said in his heart, no God. He does not believe in a God. But David goes on, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. There is none that are righteous, Paul would say. To be righteous means to be right. That's what to be righteous means. It means to be right. And Paul says in verse 10, there is none of us that are right, righteous. Now, what does that mean to be right? Well, I could possibly be unrighteous or not right. By not being right with my fellow man. There may be something that would be between you and somebody else. Maybe an argument that that took place. Or maybe a disagreement. Maybe a different philosophy on doing something. But maybe there would be something between you and somebody else. And that would be unrighteousness. You would not be right with each other. But Paul's not talking about being unrighteous with our neighbor. Or not right with our neighbor in verse 10. He is talking about not being right with God. Paul said we are unrighteous. We are not right when it comes to the relationship with God. Now being unright with God or unrighteous in the eyes of God is different than being unrighteous or not right with your fellow man. Because of this, if I'm not right with you, it could be that it's my fault, but it could also be that it's your fault. It may be that we're not right because of something that you did. Maybe you harmed me. Maybe you double-crossed me. Maybe you did something against me. And maybe we're not right, but it might not be my fault. It could be your fault. But for us to be unrighteous with God, the unrighteousness is never on God's part. 
The fact that a man is not right with God does not mean that God has somehow erred or faltered or failed. God is perfect in all of His ways. God is not the one that is wrong. We are the ones that are wrong. So when He says we are not right, we are unrighteous, it's our fault. Verse number 10, it's not getting any better. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. Paul has shown us how that God in chapter number 1 and chapter number 2 has given every man a measure of light, a measure of truth. In chapter 1, he tells us that God gives us the light of creation. God gives us creation and the creation testifies of God's existence. In chapter number 2, he gives us the light of the conscience. That God puts inside of every man a moral compass that although we have twisted and, and warped that moral compass, when we are born, God puts something inside of us that teaches us right from wrong. But Paul now is saying in verse number 11, there's none that understands, there's none that seeks after God, even with the great witnesses of creation and the conscience, and the Jew had the law at this time, even with these things, nobody understands and not one seeks after God. We're not only guilty of not acting on the knowledge, we are guilty of not seeking God. The interesting thing about that is that God has revealed Himself to mankind. God is not standing in the shadows, God is out in the open. And the fact that God is not found by the bulk of society is not God's fault. He is not hiding Himself from our world. He is in the open, could clearly be seen, but men, according to verse 11, choose not to seek after Him. You see, a man doesn't have to search after God. God searches after a man. You don't have to search after somebody that's standing out in the open. How ridiculous would it be for one of you all to say to someone sitting next to you on the pew, I wonder where Pastor Josh is tonight. I can't find him. I wonder where he's at with me standing right here in this pulpit. I, I'm not hiding myself from you. I'm not in the closet in the back. I have revealed myself. Here I am. I can clearly be found. And it's the same way with God. God can clearly be found. God certainly can be found to the savage in the jungle. He has creation. He has a conscience. But He can be found readily by those of us that have been born right here in the good old U.S. of A. Right in the Bible Belt where there's a church on every corner. Where there's preaching going out over the internet all the time. You see, God doesn't hide Himself from man. Man hides Himself from God. You remember when the very first man committed the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate that fruit and they knew they shouldn't have. And immediately once they did it, something in their life changed and the Bible says that God come down in the cool of the day to walk with Adam. God didn't hide. Adam had messed up, but God didn't hide from him. God come down to the garden just like he had done every other day. Now there was somebody hiding in the garden, but it wasn't God. It was Adam. Adam was hiding from God because Adam knew he was a sinner. And man today, if we are honest... We would say we are not searching for God. In fact, the day that 
I was saved. I'll be honest, I was not searching for God. But I'm so thankful that God comes searching for me. Amen. The Bible says in Luke 19, 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Verse 12, not only are we not seeking after God, but watch this, they're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Man is guilty of going, not only, not only is man not searching for God, but he's guilty of going in the wrong direction. The reality is that most men and women know that they need to make a change in their life. They know they need to do something. But instead of doing what they know they need to do, they go in the opposite direction. Paul said we are unprofitable. The word unprofitable in that verse literally means to be spoiled or to be rotten. It carries the idea of a rotten fruit. That's the way God sees mankind. It is unprofitable, it is rotten. He says in this verse, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. That is a triple negative in that verse. It hammers home the fact that we are not searching for God. We are not acting in the light that we have. We are going in the wrong direction. Paul pronounces judgment. There's none righteous. No, not one. Number two, not only does he give us a judgment, but he gives us a prognosis. He gives us a prognosis. Verse number 13, <coughs> their throat is an open sepulcher. With their thoughts they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their tongue. We've been found guilty before the judge, so Paul now takes us from the courtroom and takes us to the doctor's office. And he puts us before the great physician and he begins to examine us in this passage of Scripture. I remember when I was a kid, one of the first things when I would go for a checkup that the doctor would tell me to do is he'd tell me to stick my tongue out. You remember that? I've never been real good at that. Every time I've got a sore throat, Davina says, well, let me see the back of your throat. And I try to, I try to lay my tongue down flat. I can't do it. I've got to have one of those popsicle sticks to hold it down. But you remember the doctor would say, stick out your tongue, let me look down your throat. Paul, in verse number 13, as he, begins to, as he begins to evaluate us, the first thing he does, he says, open your mouth. Take the popsicle stick, let's hold down your tongue, let's, let's look down your throat. God looks down the throat of, of, of the sinner in verse number 13, and he said, it's like an open sepulcher. It's like an open grave. You may look like a Sunday school boy or girl on the outside, but on the inside, God said it's like death on the inside. After the doctor tells you to open your mouth, the next thing they do is tell you to stick out your tongue. Paul says, under our tongue is found poison, poison worse than a snake. There have been a lot of people that have been Wounded, not with sticks and stones, but with words. Gossip, backbiting are some of the most harmful things that a person can encounter. The interesting thing is that things like gossip and backbiting, those are those spiritual sins, you know, those that you can still be a good Christian and do them, you know, the way we think about it. But Paul said the reality is, is that when God looks down our throat, he said it's like an open sepulcher and there's poison in there. It has the ability to do harm. 
Verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. God now proclaims that our mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I'm not going to stick here very long, but the vocabulary of the average person today is terrible. I have heard women say things that you'd expect a filthy mouth man to say, you know. It's, and a filthy mouth man shouldn't be a filthy mouth man either. Children say things in schools when mom and dad's not around. Husband and wife say things when their spouse isn't around, when the preacher's not around. But it's not just cursing in this verse. It is full of cursing and bitterness. There's bitterness in there as well. I have listened to people, and you have too. I have listened to people speak words or say words. And as they speak, you can feel the bitterness that's coming out of their mouth. It's just in their very vocabulary, in their words. Some people are bitter toward another church member. Some people are bitter toward their spouse. Some people are bitter toward their children, their parents. Some are bitter toward their circumstances. Some, if they're wrong with would tell you that they're even bitter toward God. Their feet, verse 15, are swift to shed blood. Not only do we have mouth problems, we've got feet problems. Isaiah adds to this commentary in Isaiah 59, 7. He said their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. In Ephesians chapter number, what is it, 5, 6, somewhere around, Paul's talking about that spiritual armor. And Paul said that we should have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you remember that? As a Christian, we should have our feet shed, uh, 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 our feet uh, should, be, should be shod with the gospel of peace. But the lost man, the lost man's not looking for peace. The lost man, Paul says, his feet are swift to shed innocent blood. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their way. Destruction and misery follow the lost man or the lost woman wherever they go. We're destroying our planet. We're destroying our morals. We're destroying our children. Everything we touch, we are destroying because destruction is in our path. We are sinners. 17, the way of peace they have not known. The physician said, we have mouth trouble, we have feet trouble. He said, you've got something wrong with your mind in verse 17. A lot of people talk about peace. We talk about world peace. The truth is, is that there's no peace to be found. There's no peace to be found. Man can't find peace because we're not peaceful in our nature. We are unpeaceful in our nature. Only God gives peace. And without God, there is no peace. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. It is only when we know Jesus Christ, we find peace. We're moving quickly. There's no fear, verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. The reason for every issue that I've listed for you tonight is because of this one issue found in verse number 18. If men truly feared God, they would be less likely to shed innocent blood, to be full of bitterness, to be full of cursing, to uh, whatever it may be. They would seek after truth. They would seek after God. If they really feared Him, they would seek after Him. 
But instead of fearing God, man defies God. We have got so bold in our world today that we even shake our fist at God. We know what the Bible says, but we turn a blind eye to it. We say God doesn't exist. We say, you know, this is my body. I can do with it as I please. There's no one that I'm going to answer to. That is a testimony that there is no fear of God before their eyes. It's even true in churches sometimes. Men and women are doing things that are directly opposed to what God's Word said, and they're not even bothered about it. Verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. When presented with the terrible condition, man must accept the fact that he is guilty before God. So, well, I'll do better, preacher. I'll do better. I will, I will try to live up to the Bible standards. But according to verse number 19, you can't. The law doesn't promote you as you keep the law. You're promoted somehow into fellowship with God. No, no, no. The law doesn't promote you. What the law does, it says guilty in your life. And all mouths are stopped. When a man or woman honestly looks into the law of God, their mouth is stopped and they have no excuse. Verse 20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. I don't know how a man or woman could read that verse and still claim that a person can be saved or maintain their salvation by keeping the law. It is very clear that by the law, no flesh can be justified. The word justified means to be declared right. It means to be, to be saved is the way we talk about it. It is impossible to be right, to be justified. It is impossible to be right or stay right by maintaining some sort of a law. Paul says by th that, that's not the law's purpose. The law's purpose is the knowledge of sin. James said it this way. James said that the letter or the law is like a mirror that we look into. When you go home this afternoon and you look into your bathroom mirror, it's going to reveal some things to you. It may reveal some crow's feet on the side of your eyes and some wrinkles that you aren't happy that are there. It may reveal that you got something on you. Maybe you got a smudge or some dirt. It may reveal that, that uh, you, know, you know, something. But you know what the mirror will not do? The mirror will not take care of any of those things. If you go home tonight and you look in the mirror and you've got a smudge on your face, you've got dirt on your face, that mirror, you're not going to rub your face on the mirror and try to get the dirt off. You're going to have to go to the sink below the mirror and wash in the water to get the dirt off of your face. That's the way the law is. The law shows us that we are a sinner. It reveals our sin. It reveals our flaws. It reveals those areas we failed God. But it cannot save us. It cannot make us right. For by the, by the law, no flesh shall be justified. 
If we was to stop at Romans chapter 3, verse number 20, we would be in a mess. Paul has shown us that no matter how good or holy you think you are, you are unrighteous in the eyes of a holy God. And if he stopped after verse number 20, we would all be on our way to hell, unrighteous, unfit. But I'm so thankful that he does not stop in verse 20, but he gives us verse 21. So third of all tonight, let me show you the solution. The solution. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. While we are unable to create righteousness on our own, righteousness is available. Paul says it this way to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 30. But of him are you, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God has made Jesus Christ righteousness to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We are not saved by keeping the law. Righteousness is available, however. It is available in Jesus Christ. I'll say it this way. The righteousness that God demands, God provides. The theological term for this is justification by faith. Justification by faith is not a process on your part. It is an act or a declaration on God's part. When we come to God and we say, God, I am undone. I am unfit. I am a sinner. I want you to forgive me and save me. I believe in your Son. At that moment, God acts. God declares us justified. He declares that we are righteous. It's nothing we've done. All we did was say, I am undone. And God said, I will take that. And He declares us righteous because of His Son. Paul said this was alluded to in the Law and the Prophets. The Law alluded to this uh, every time a blood sacrifice was offered. The Prophets alluded to this every time they spoke of the coming Messiah. From Genesis 3.15, where God promised that He would crush the head of the serpent until all the way through Malachi and finally Jesus Christ, God was pictured, forgiveness and righteousness was pictured in every page of the Word of God. Isaiah clearly said it in Isaiah 53 verse 6. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him, speaking of the coming Messiah, the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, that Messiah. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Messiah. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The way of righteousness goes directly through Jesus Christ. Without him we are unrighteous. Verse 22, Even the righteousness of God which is by faith, of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The way to obtain righteousness, verse 22, is based on faith. 
Salvation is not dependent on what you do. Salvation is dependent on what you believe. Dr. Charles Hodgwin said, The righteousness which the Father required, the Son became, the Holy Spirit convinces of, and faith secures. The key element of salvation is not works, it is faith. And it is not just faith, it is faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is only as good as the object on which it is placed. Charles Spurgeon once said, It is not thy hope in Christ which saves you, it's Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves you, it is Christ. It is not thy faith in Christ that saves you, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and Christ's merit. We are saved by believing in and on Jesus Christ. And I'll say this, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ, not just believe about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the standard and we must place our faith in Him. 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful truth. The word freely in verse 24 means without a cause. Being justified freely. Being justified without a cause. When Jesus was born and lived among men, the Scriptures tell us the awful truth that they crucified Him. They crucified Him without a cause. He had not done one thing wrong, one thing worthy of death. And yet they they crucified Him anyways. And that's an awful reality, is it not? But the wonderful reality is, is that when we compare ourselves with the Scriptures we have just read, we would have to say, there is no cause for which God would forgive and justify me. But God does it freely. God does it without a cause. You're right. There's nothing in you that merits salvation. But God does it anyway. He freely justifies all that believe. I read the story about John Bunyan some time back. John Bunyan is the author of the, the Great Pilgrim's Progress. You've probably heard of that book. And John Bunyan said about himself one time, he said, when God showed me John Bunyan as God saw John Bunyan, I no longer confessed I was a sinner, but I confessed that I was sin." From the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, I was full of sin. And he struggled with that. He struggled with that often. And the story goes that one night, Mr. Bunyan's in a cornfield and he's pacing and walking the cornfield, wrestling with God because this reality that he's such an awful sinner, that he is so full of sin that he is sin. And as he's in that cornfield wrestling with God, a verse comes to him. It is Paul's words in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 9. And being found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And when Mr. Bunyan realized that, he accepted it, and his burden was immediately rolled away. You see, you are sin from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, but God freely justifies, forgives, and makes righteous those that believe in His Son. Verse 25, Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood 
to declare the righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. While this righteousness is freely given, it does not come with cost. Three words describe for us in these verses the cost of salvation. They are the words propitiation, redemption, and blood. It was given to you freely. Righteousness, forgiveness, salvation was given to you freely. But it did not come without a cost. It cost Jesus Christ His blood. It cost Him His life. 2 Corinthians 5.18 And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. It is through faith in His blood that we receive the propitiation of our sins. The word propitiation is an Old Testament word. That word propitiation takes us back to the Old Testament on the days of atonement. According to Leviticus chapter number 16, on the day of atonement, the high priest would have two goats brought before him. and One goat would become a sacrifice and he would... He would, he would cut that goat and, and, and let its blood drain from its body and that blood would eventually be taken into the holy place where it would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. Under that mercy seat, by the way, were two laws, were the two tables of stone where the law of Moses was written. The laws that said you are unrighteous and you are undone. But on top of the law, God put a lid of mercy and sprinkled His blood on it. And that one goat would have its blood sprinkled on that mercy seat. And the other goat, the other goat, the priest would put his hand on the head of that goat and he would confess the sins of the people. And as he confessed the sins of the people, it was almost like God transferred those sins onto that goat and the goat would be taken somewhere into the wilderness and released. And in that we see a picture of what God has done for you and me. Jesus was the sacrificial Lamb of God. John said, Behold the Lamb of God. He was the sacrifice. And on Him were placed all of our sins. He shed His blood so that we might have remission. And you and I get to go free. Not because it is free, but because someone else paid the price. Jesus Christ paid the price for us to be set free. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan was trying to explain salvation to a coal miner one time. The man couldn't understand how salvation was free. He kept arguing with Dr. Campbell, I have to pay for it, I have to pay for it. Um, Dr. Morgan started praying and wondering how he could explain to this man that salvation truly was, was free. And finally he asked the coal miner, he said, how did you get into the mine this morning? Was it easy to get in the mine? And the man said, yeah, it was pretty easy to get in the mine. I, I just, I took the elevator shaft and went down. Dr. Morgan looked at the coal miner and said, wasn't that too easy? Didn't it cost you something? And the man said, no, it didn't cost me anything, but it, I'm sure it cost the company I work for a lot of money to install that elevator. And all of a sudden it dawned on the man. 
Oh, salvation is easy. It's easy to get saved, but it costs somebody a great expense to make it that easy for you and me. Verse 27, where's boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. If we are saved by the mercy of God, we receive righteousness provided by Jesus Christ. How can we boast? We can't. We can't boast because we've not done it. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. That's the reason boasting's excluded. The reason we can't boast is because we're just justified by faith. I've said it so many times. God only asks you for faith, and then He gives you the faith. You did nothing. He sought you out. He came to you. He put His Word in His heart. He gave you faith to believe. And all you did was respond to what He had given you. Verse 29 is he the God of the Jew only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. God's not just a God of an individual group that excludes another. God's the God of all. All are sinners. All need to be forgiven. Jesus died for the whole world. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. God was saving the Gentiles. That was clear at this point when Paul wrote this letter. The, the, the Jews couldn't claim any different. God was saving them the same way He was willing to save the Jews. Faith. 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Faith excludes the work of the law. It doesn't destroy the law. The law still serves a purpose. It shows us we are a sinner. But we are saved through faith without the law. In the next chapter, Paul will give us a couple illustrations of this. He gives the illustration of Abraham. He'll say Abraham was justified by faith. Now, we have to agree Abraham was justified outside of the law because Abraham lived before Moses lived. There were no laws written on tables of stone in the days of Abraham, but God declared him righteous. God declared him just because Abraham believed God. Then he'll give us the example of David. Now, if I was to ask you, was David justified by keeping the law? You'd say, oh, preacher, I know some stories about David. I know that he broke at least two of them in one chapter. And, you know, they're all the same, but you would say, well, they're kind of the big ones too, preacher. He committed adultery and had a man murdered. But David was justified in the eyes of God. How? By keeping the law? No, he didn't keep the law. He was justified by faith. Every man ever born has been saved by one way and one way only. Faith. That's what God has always required and that's what God still requires. If a man is lost today, the only thing for him to do is turn toward God, accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Place his faith in the finished work at Calvary. And by doing so, God rolls those sins away. He takes the sin away. And in your account, he places the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you deserve it? No. But he does it without a cause.
Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the opportunity we've been given to study your word.